Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. You know that project you've been working on, just chipping away at it, dreaming of the day you get to show it off? Then, when you're least expecting it, cancer. And finishing that project actually happens. I would know. I've been restoring this car for years, and today I'm giving it to my granddaughter. It's her 16th birthday and two years since my cancer diagnosis. Happy birthday, boo-boo. You keep making plans. Visit ohiohealth.com slash keep making plans to learn more. Hole number nine at Kiowa Island. That is where our WGT challenge is this week. So go to freewgt.com, download the app, go to the game mode section, go to closest to the hole, go to Kiowa Island, play the first eight holes, and then let us know how close you got on number nine. Send us a screenshot to at DNVR Broncos on Twitter. And whoever's closest is going to win a t-shirt. And maybe, just maybe, since we went so far into the course, it's not going to require a hole-in-one to win this week. But either way, if you play along, you get entered into the grand prize drawing, which is your choice of tickets to a game or a jersey of your choice. So go to FreeWGT.com today and get in on this. Coming to you from high above Empower Field in what I like to call Mousetrap Corner. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's it the sounds end. like something on WGT. It does. Yeah, it's like a hole at, at Augusta, Mousetrap Corner. Uh, you think the Augusta powers that be would allow something to be called a mousetrap? I mean, they've fired, had color commentators fired because they said the greens were so slick they were treated with bikini wax. Oh the famous Gary McCord thing. Or uh, the late Jack Whitaker referring to a, ga- a gallery as a mob, and he was excommunicated. But it would be something if Augusta ever relaxed things a bit and called something the mousetrap. I will also say that Augusta probably wouldn't leave a poopy mousetrap <laughs> in a corner. <laughs> Boy, that is poopy. <laughs> I don't know, though. They probably have a little bit of a roach problem at times down south, man. Those cockroaches. That's Not even the most elevated of environments can be free of the cockroach it's true if you're new to the podcast when we do <laughs> when we do these uh these post game pods we come to the very corner of the press box and there's a mouse trap that sits right by where my feet normally go mouse trap <laughs> corner so that's why we call this mouse trap corner it's perfect uh anyways the B- oh my god i almost did it the dnvr <laughs> broncos podcast is presented by strava craft coffee And it's some game-changing stuff. It's CBD-infused coffee that not only tastes incredible, but it can relieve everyday aches and pains, anxiety, migraines, and so much more. As Strava says, drink deeply, live fully. It's deep. 
Use code BSN2019 to receive 20% off. Well, I felt like going into this game that this this was a corner, not a mousetrap corner, but but a corner for the Broncos to a chance to to turn a corner and and have some hope for this thing. And, and man, did it really feel like they were about to make a statement. They they go out, they get hot, they start getting sacks, they do all of this great stuff, and yet as a sign of a weak team, one defining moment took all of that good stuff and erased it entering this weekend the bronc if the broncos would have won today and a few other things went their way they would have been second in the afc west and so you're right it 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 made sense why people were still hopeful it was only three games into the season an 0-3 start 2.8 percent chance to make the playoffs after that not likely that it was going to happen, but there were reasons for hope and optimism, and you play the Chargers who seemed down, and then you play the Titans who before today seemed down after that, so there were certainly reasons for hope, but Ryan, a key thing about that was the Broncos had to win today, and they won in the first half. Heck, in fact, there were people out there on Twitter saying crazy things like suggesting if the Broncos were good in the first half. I mean, I don't know who would even suggest that, but... Uh, maybe got 10,000 followers or something. I'm not, I'm not quite sure. Got that 10,000 followers for sarcastic <laughs> tweets like that. And then uh, they fell into the mousetrap corner in the second half. Yes, they did. And Mace, would you like to join us on the podcast? <laughs> I was just listening to Zach, but I was also, <laughs> I'm also looking ahead because I was compiling some stuff on contracts mm. for the 2020 season, starting to look at, okay, which ones can the Broncos get out of? What's tradable? Uh, what sort of dead money and cap savings can they extract, et cetera, while Zach was telling that story? So really quick, Mace, we're at that point in the season. Yes. You are now at the point, guys, where this team at 0-4 has a 0.83% chance of being a playoff team. 100. So you're saying there's a chance. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> It's 1 in 120 going back to 1978. That was the first year of multiple wild cards from each conference. Tell us more about 1978. Disco was in style. The Denver Broncos won their second consecutive division title. Wow. Early in 1978, of course, back in January of that year, they played in Super Bowl twelve and lost. It was actually a pretty glorious time for the Denver Broncos. They wore orange pants in 1978. With their white jerseys. Mm. Wow. And had a big win. I believe it was on a Sunday night version of Monday Night Football over the Raiders to basically give them the AFC West crown. I remember let's, that. Let's just say this, guys. 1978, much better times than 2019 for your Denver Broncos. And it has been since then, since Disco and and Orange Pants, <laughs> that a Somehow team, they go together, by along. the way. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that a team has made... The playoffs after an 0-4 yeah, start. And just one time since 1978, and that was the 1992 San Diego Chargers. Oh, right. It wasn't then. One time since then. Right. Owen, they were 0-4 to start the year under a new head coach, Bobby Ross, and then roared through the rest of the schedule and then beat Kansas City in the wild card round before getting throttled in the rain at Miami in the divisional round. I actually remember that, too. I can tell you about 1992. <laughs> I can't. We can. <laughs> Mark Wahlberg was a rapper, not an actor. Wow. Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch. <laughs> and Some I good vibrations. 
I was a little 10 pound, two ounce. <laughs> baby Ryan. Infant, baby RK. Infant RK. <laughs> <laughs> ripping Taking off in good tweets. First still football. Though. You were already saying go buffs by then, I yeah, think. Yeah, probably. <laughs> singing the fight song. Um, yeah, it's happened once. And honestly, I I feel silly even saying the word playoffs on this podcast. Let's just uh, not. Um, this thing was headed in the right direction. And, and, and people keep misinterpreting this. This is why I love the podcast. One, we have a very educated uh, group of people that listen to us who aren't ridiculous. Uh, and two, it just gives you a chance to explain yourself. I keep saying that this play was the turning point, and it was. It now, that was. doesn't mean that it, it is was. Joe Flacco's fault the Broncos lost, but it just so happens that as the Broncos are driving with the chance to take a 24-3 to lead or at least a 20-3 to lead, Joe Flacco makes an inexplicable decision, and not even he could explain it because when he tried to, nothing he said made <laughs> sense. Uh he just threw a ball right to a Jaguar and it flipped the game on its head. And it may seem like something that is insignificant in the grand scheme, because of course they just go and get a field goal and it's 17 to six and you should still win the game. And I agree with people who feel that way, but the fact of it is the Broncos were never the same after that moment. And that doesn't mean it's Joe Flacco's fault, but it does mean they lost the momentum and they were never really able to regain it. Even when they went and got that game-leading uh, drive, which should have been the game-winning drive, the Jaguars had already built up the confidence that was necessary to go down and make a play and win the game. At that point, the right before the Broncos got that touchdown, the Jaguars had scored like 17 unanswered points, so they weren't afraid. Their offense, they knew that their offense, especially with Gardner Minshew, could could come back. And Ryan. You talk about the momentum shifting. Can a team be up but not have the momentum? Yes. And and that's what the Broncos were entering halftime. Now, was it was the momentum completely in the Jaguars' favor? No. They're still down 11 points, but it, it kind of took the wind out of the Broncos' sails. And what do the Jags do? After sitting in the locker room for 20 minutes, they come out and they explode that momentum and go out and make the Broncos just die on the sideline. The Broncos' offense, over 10 minutes on the field, they had the drive going to start the second half. Then at that point, even before they scored the touchdown, even before they got any points on the board, it's 17-6. to Jaguars have the ball in the Broncos' red zone. It feels like, oh, no, this isn't happening, is it? Yeah. When good teams are up 17-3 and driving, what do they do? They step on the throat. And we've seen good Broncos teams over the years do that. Go in for the kill right then and there. Joe Flacco had a fairly good game. To his credit, led a second game, late game drive that should have been a game-winning drive. But that throw, you just gave you gave a drowning team a lifeline. Yep. And they capitalized on it to the hilt. I liked what they did on that drive. They just, you know, kind of diced their way th- downfield through the air. And then early in the second half, it was on the ground. It was hammering away. As Vic Fangio said, the Broncos got whipped physically. They lost at the line of scrimmage. Jags O-line versus Denver's D-line. Lost in a big way. The Broncos did miss Josie Jewell out with a hamstring injury. Missed him against the run. Leonard Fournette 
and the Jags O-line just ate the Broncos' front seven alive. And then the offense, when it finally got back off on the field, completely rusty, went three and out. You think like the worst thing that could have happened in that scenario was either a giveaway or a three and out. They were both equally bad, and the Jaguars just picked up where they left off and kept on going. Jacksonville averaged, I think, 8.7 yards per play after the interception through the end of the third quarter. Brutal change of the game. Zach tweeted this out. The Broncos had a 94.3 win probability when they were driving and they had the ball the play before that Joe Flacco interception. Obviously, it didn't flip on a dime right there, but that's when it started heading back the other way. This whole thing is so easy for me to see how it played out from that interception on. That interception gives the Jags the momentum. They go into the halftime uh, locker room. They come back, and that 10-minute drive is really what set the, the tone for the rest of the game because it just wore the heck out of that Broncos defense. Then the offense comes up back. They go three and out. They wear down the defense some more. They wear them down. And it's like, it's so obvious to see what happened. The, the defense got completely gassed. And the Jags, which, like, this is why you have a guy like Leonard Fournette. They've never really been able to put this formula into place. But a guy like Leonard Fournette goes and just absolutely feasts on a defense that's, that's fatigued. Yeah, there's a couple of things that I've been thinking about. Number one, the Jaguars use the heat and the altitude against the the homestanding Broncos. The Jaguars looked like the team that were that was more comfortable in the hot and high conditions of Denver, and they used it to exact a toll on the Broncos. But another thing that kind of popped in my mind, this team had some arduous practices back in training camp. Are we seeing the downside of that in a moment like the second half where they just looked gassed? Shouldn't it be the opposite? Shouldn't you see the the fruits of that? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. I mean, I remember going, you know, going to the wayback machine here, as you know, I like to do. Believe it or not, there were teams that did three a day practices a long time ago. By the 1980s, it wasn't common, but I remember the Bucks in 1987 doing three a day practices, and something happened to that team when it got to mid season. They started blowing leads. They they blew a 20 to nothing lead over the Bears. They nearly blew a 24-3 lead in Milwaukee against the Packers. They actually did blow a 28-3 fourth quarter lead in St. Louis, which is still the biggest blown fourth quarter lead in NFL history. And a lot of players then pointed to the practices they had in the summer as just creating an effect where they just felt like they were worn out. Their legs were made out of jello, and I wonder. And the Broncos weren't working to that degree. You can't do that in today's NFL. But it was a very hot training camp by Denver standards this summer, and the practices were long. And I wonder if we're seeing a little bit of that effect out there now. Mace, I wish I could say yes, and that's the reason, and buy into that because then that's an easy thing to change for Vic Fangio next year. Go back to the hour thirty practices. Let's take a day off every three days. We would love that. But this is game four. This is this is, and I understand they started training camp a week earlier. But boy, if that's the case then really shame on everyone. Shame on Vic for putting this this complete losing plan out there to start training camp. Shame on the, the training staff to not get these guys right. Shame on the guys themselves for not being ready. So I, I'm not ready to buy that today. Bradley Chubb uh, was in and out 
for what a quarter, quarter and a half, which killed the Broncos, especially on that ten play drive. Especially, cramps. Hey, yep, exactly, cramps. And he said after the game, "That's on me. I got to be more hydrated." But to me, I think it was really a mental fatigue and just a mental game with the Broncos starting that third quarter. Uh, the the defense really thinking, "Oh my gosh, we're, we're we have to be on the field for what sixteen plays or what was it? Something crazy? A sixteen play drive?" It was the longest in terms of time elapsed allowed by the Broncos in a dozen years. That's that is absolutely and, and, wild. And man, when that offense just went out there and went three and out, yep, that was the moment I think we all kind of knew. This thing's probably going to end in a loss. Well, and then Mace, how about right after the Broncos went for a three and out? Colby Wadman, great punt, absolutely great punt. Pins them, pins the Jaguars deep in their own ten. He did his job today. Yep. And then you have three plays, ninety-three yards, and a touchdown. Of course, led by that eighty-one-yard drive by Leonard Fournette. Then everyone, the the the, the Broncos lost the game mentally. Then. And then you look at the fourth quarter where they kind of picked the mental part of the part of the game back up and Joe Flacco just led the Broncos on a touchdown drive and then after the game Joe Flacco admits that yeah I not word for word but yep I was a little worried that we left too much time for them on the clock. That just says everything you need to know. How's that for confidence in the defense? But why should he have confidence right? in them? He already, they already blew a, uh, that that lead earlier in the season. This yeah, like th- Joe went out, the last time he did this. Not only did he go ahead and tie it, he won them the game yep. with a two point conversion, like back to back huge plays, and they blew it. So uh, I talked to someone who was sitting in the stands right behind the Broncos bench who said Joe walked to the sideline after that touchdown and did not show an ounce of happiness, just pure distress oh. from the second that he walked over there, and like that is where this team is at they have no confidence in themselves that you're gonna get beat by a rookie quarterback making his third career start Mm -hmm. he left he left a sixth round pick who doesn't have much of a deep vertical game to him yep he left that guy too much time he left that offense too much time in the jaguars we're not talking about a team that's been offensive juggernaut goodness goodness gracious they had, what, 32 points in their last two games after putting up 26 on the Chiefs and their terrible defense? So basically they had, as many, they had as many points today as they had in the previous two games. You couldn't trust your defense against an average offense. Your defense, by the way, that had five sacks going into that final drive that, that wasn't like not making any plays on the day. This is a weird situation where they had five sacks and in in, like, you can actually point to it not being enough. Like the ones that got away, right? That's what that. That's what the pass rush will lament because it could have been seven or eight sacks. It for should the defense, have been easily. seven or eight sacks, and they let him get away, and that turned directly into points that ended up costing them the game. It's a weird thing. You don't want to necessarily blame the pass rush for letting him get away, but you can point back to that and say, "Oh, if they had seven sacks, they would have won." Yep. Mm-hmm. So, without a doubt, it that was such a just. A, a symptom of a team again they don't know how to win they don't have confidence in themselves and I thought the most damning thing and I can say this as a CU guy the most damning thing that came out after the game was Philip Lindsay saying yeah it, it feels like back when I was at CU you know we just couldn't finish for a while and then eventually we learned to do it and I'm like oh man he's comparing <laughs> them to the buffs when they were at their worst so well, what are we talking about what team is he kind of what how many I guess, it would be the 2015 buffs 
um, bad. Who, who were the yeah they they won like four games. It was four and nine, right? Yeah, they I think they went, they won four games and they were close. Like they had gone from getting blown out in every game. Okay. This game this season they had finally got close. They still okay. go four and nine, I believe, and it was the season that led up to. The rise, quote unquote, mm, where they won right. ten games, but right. the rise didn't last long. And if the Broncos are rebuilding, as I suggest that they are, and I think they need to come out and confront it and say it if they haven't done so internally already, then they need to make sure they're rebuilding, re- rebuilding this thing to where it's not just one good season like CU had in 2016 before quickly falling back. You want to rebuild this to where it's built on bedrock, not built on sand, not a fluke. Well. The game, at least the anything after the first half, not that fun. But man, did we have an awesome time <laughs> at the DNVR uh, and Sons of Mile High tailgate. So thankful for Sons of Mile High for welcoming welcoming us into their little family there. Uh, shout out to everyone who came to Lot N. We had Broncos fans from Denver. We had Broncos fans from Switzerland. We had Broncos <laughs> fans from the UK. It was so cool meeting all of you guys. Thank you so much uh, for coming out. And, and man, we had a good time. And what better to fuel a good time than some Breckenridge beers? Uh, there was Strawberry Skies. There was United and Orange. There was Colorado Core. Everyone was tipping them back, having a good old time. Uh, and, and so we really thank both Sons of Mile High and Breckenridge beers for showing us a good time before the game. That was an epic tailgate. It really was. And hopefully we can do that again because that's got some that's got some big time potential. And if this season continues to spiral, we're gonna need to have some good pregame parties <laughs> I was gonna to say, get ready for what's coming after that. In in relation to Phil's comment, back then I learned to lo- you just love the tailgate. Like that that <laughs> yeah. is the game. Seem like a lot of fans love their tailgating today because at the start of the game, two twenty five, there were quite a few empty seats <laughs> yeah. in the st- in the seating bowl. And in the end, I think they announced more than four thousand no shows for this game on a. A warm but still ideal late September Colorado day. You get to a point where you say, like, the tailgate is that's the that's the center of attention. Mm-hmm. Instead of you tailgate for the game, you tail you go to the game as like a post party to the tailgate. Here's what's so cool is you guys obviously trust us in our recommendations of food and drink, and you guys have trusted us with the Breckenridge Brew thing, but it's so cool to be out there. And everyone came up to me and said, these are my favorite beers. These three beers. I love the new Colorado Core. The the, uh, Strawberry Sky got me through summer. It's so cool hearing those, hearing you guys tell me in person how awesome they are. And you guys are awesome. And and again, thanks to uh, everyone who made that happen. We had a really, really good time. and, And we plan on doing it again. And if you need to have even more of a good time, make sure you check out The Green Solution, which has 17 Colorado locations and an express checkout to get you in and out as fast as possible. So pull out your phone right now. Go to their website, mygreensolution.com. Order your flowers, edibles, concentrates, topicals online, and head to the closest green solution for pickup. Use code BSN20. I'm sure it'll change, but right now, BSN20 for 20% off your entire purchase. I'm sure that um, some people at the tailgate got to experience what it's like to mix Breck Brews (laughs) (laughs) in the green solution. (laughs) Not us, though. Not us. No. Um, Too much work to do. 
I want to get in the proverbial helicopter here and go a little higher mm. as we look down upon this Broncos team. Higher than three, the 300 club? Yep, oh, we're going to go okay. up to the top to be top of the 500 <laughs> level. I thought this might be the 35,000 foot view, maybe. Mm. Yes. Flying and over Denver. This is a question that I, I don't know if you guys are expecting me to ask. As it stands, we think the Bron- well, at least I think the Broncos are going to be 0 and 5 a week from today. And I'm thinking to myself like, wow, 0 and 5 is really bad. And then I think to like some of these teams that I've looked at over the years that were just trash. And I'm wondering some I'm wondering something about this team. We'll just say 0 and 4 right now, but trending towards 0 and 5. Are the Broncos a very talented 0 and 4 going on 0 and 5 team? Or are we missing something here? Are these guys actually not as talented as we thought? I don't think the talent is there to be any better than two and two. I think two and two is the ceiling. So I would say probably the talent is one and three, and the record is zero and four. I think they're top heavy in talent, but at the wrong places, I guess for for an entire team. And then there's just a massive deficiency well I think what is hurting the team right now is the guys that have carried you that have been your elite players aren't what they were I mean Von Miller had a couple of sacks today but Von Miller is not the Von Miller of 2014 2015 and 2016 um Chris Harris Jr. is playing well I wouldn't say he's the Chris Harris Jr. of 2015 2016 and Frankly, all the promise, all the potential is in the young guys, but they're still in the process of becoming. And here's here's where I look at it. Oh, wow. Phil Flimsy looked bruised after the game. Looked like he got in a fight. <laughs> yeah. Here's the the where I'm going to point to, that, which kind of gives a good idea about this team. This defensive line, when before the season, when we looked at each individual piece, okay, Adam Gotsis, solid, should be solid, taking that next step up to be a little better than solid. Derek Wolf should be pretty darn good if he stays healthy. Shelby Harris, boy, he's trending in the right direction, right? And then behind him, uh, Draymond Jones is obviously, uh, you, you hope, going to be a piece sometime. So positive view on him. And Marcus Walker, hey, as positive of an outlook on him as you could ever have in his career. And hey, also before the season, throwing Zach Kerr saying as a good depth piece to this team. They got 269 yards oh. run down their throat. You can't look at any piece and and tell me that they're even solid on that line. Well, right now, you look at this team in the last two years, it has now allowed three 200-yard rushers in the last two seasons. Actually, if you want to go uh, take it further than that, three 200-yard rushers in the last 16 games. Do you know how many 200-yard rushers there have been around the league since the start of the 2018 season? Four. Four! <laughs> Three of them against this team. How? Like, that's what I keep wow. coming back to. I'm like, but this is the team that has Vaughn Miller and Bradley right. Chubb right. And, and, and Derek Wolf. Derek Wolf and Shelby Harris, who's supposed to be like a budding star, and even Adam Gotts, who you thought was this solid piece. Yep. It's like... But they're solid. But they're all solid. Like Adam Gotts is solid. solid. We 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 thought they were solid. We thought they were at least solid. 
And that's that's the, and that's kind of how I viewed the talent on this team is we thought they had stars at a few places. Yeah. And Mace, as you kind of said, maybe those stars aren't as bright as we thought. And then we thought they had solid in a lot of places. And we thought they had bad in a few places. That solid in the first four games has not been solid. Let me ask you both a question. On the defensive side of the football, how many guys are playing better than your preseason expectations? Ooh. Zero. Josie? Kareem Jackson. Kareem Jackson. And you didn't have him today. Right, right. You didn't have him today. And Josie's been hurt. Probably playing a little better. Demarcus than Walker. Demarcus Walker. And not a starter. Yeah. No one else is playing above wow. expectations. That's a great way to I mean, you've been playing two expectations. Chris, you can throw him back in there. Chris, Justin Simmons. Beat a few times. Yeah. Yeah. Will Parks, although he had a bad day today. Except for when he nearly killed <laughs> O'Shaughnessy or whatever his name is. O'Shaq Hennessy? Yes. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I, ever since that skit, I Ian see Peele. O'Shaughnessy and I can't I, I can't ever say anything. But do you do the O'Shaq same? Hennessy. Do you do A-A-Ron? A-A-Ron, yes, absolutely. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. So good. This defense is, it's a, look, it's a massive disappointment. Yeah. It's, it's a, an aver- It's not even an average defense. I think it's a below average defense right now. And Zach wrote it. They they pointed the fingers at themselves. Like, when have we ever heard them them be able to do that in right. in the last mm-hmm. three to four years, where they say, "Hey, the offense carried their end of the bargain, and we didn't." Now again, we talked about some game changing stuff that happened because of the offense, but in the end, it's true. You should never have allowed that ten minute drive. And if you just had them punt there, then you're back in the driver's seat. If you would have told this defense, your offense is going to give you 24 points. They take that 100 out of 100 times. And not to mention, you'll be up 17-3 at one point. (laughs) Right? You get your formula. Yeah. Right? Yep. You're supposed to be able to get sacks and takeaways. Yep. Well, they got sacks, but they didn't get them when they needed to. Yeah, and they couldn't get the takeaway. They did get the ball on the ground once, which is a huge accomplishment for them. But (laughs) it was only on the ground for like one-tenth of a second before Minshew picked it back up. Do they get a takeaway? completed a pass and got a (laughs) 15-yard penalty on top of that. Yeah, do they get a takeaway next week against Phillip Rivers, who seems like he's always good for one Gosh, he does. How can you say yes now, though? Oh, They should. Oh my God! Wait, really quick. Now, speaking of the roughing the passer penalty, do either of you know the rules when the ball hits the ground? Can you then contact him in the helmet? Or, because I think it's an intent thing, and since he he went back to being a passer, like say he picks that up and starts taking off, turns into a runner. That's when he's a yeah. runner. It's all on intent. There was no uh, protest from the Broncos sideline. I instantly looked at Vic Fangio to see if maybe he was throwing a fit. Hey, the ball hit the ground, but no. I don't think there's anything once it's fumbled or no longer the quarterback or anything like that. Because I'm sure that was going to be a question for, from some of our listeners. And to me, it, it, if that's the case, which I, I believe that sounds right, Vaughn hit him in the helmet. You can't hit a quarterback in the helmet. I think that's why everyone kind of looked at that on the sideline and said, okay. Right. There just, wasn't a lot of debate. You you have the contact with the helmet. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's a little bit soft, but sure. it's it, just so they're going to call it under today's that, rules. It's so unfortunate because Vaughn's clearly put – he puts his hand up. He's trying to block the pass. Yeah. And then he follows through and hits him in the face. And then it's just like, man, this team just 
can't have anything like the ball's on the ground. You think they're going to get a sack. You think they're going to get a turnover. And then somehow it turns into not only a completion, which, by the way, the, the Mitch Trubisky one was also a completion. Yeah. But then 15 yards on the end of the completion. This but, team really can't have anything nice. And every – all whatever can go wrong will go wrong for them. And that is the sign – of a bad football team. I think what 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 going back to my original question about are they talented or not? I think it it comes down to this. Their top line talent has taken a step back, the older guys. The middle the the, the people that are supposed to be the depth are not as good as we thought they were capable of. And the young guys just aren't enough to be the 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 uh, the horses for this team yet. And you have a capable quarterback, but he's not capable of elevating everybody around him. Yeah. If you have a bad team around Joe Flacco, he's going to do fine statistically, but it's still going to be a bad team. I don't believe in the quarterback win stat, but remember the whole thing of bringing Joe Flacco, oh, he's a winner? Yep. Mm-hmm. Since the start of the 2015 season, Joe Flacco's teams that he's quarterbacked, their record is twenty three and thirty two. Oh, mm, not very good. No, not very good. But Joe hasn't been the problem. Did, no, did that interception hurt? The like Ryan said, yeah, absolutely did not cost them the game, but was a turning point. But here's the thing: Joe twice this season in four games has done enough when he needed to. To win the game, and that's why John Elway got him because John Elway said he's going to win us the game in the fourth quarter. Well, you didn't realize that your defense wasn't going to be able to actually close out the games. Wow, it is pretty crazy when you boil it down to its to its purest form. The Broncos are just two defensive stops away from being two and two. Yep. Well, they didn't get them, and they could not get them. And, be- and two and two, right yeah. now. Would be completely acceptable. You'd be second in the AFC West. You lost two road games, won two home games, and and yep. here you are yep. with a chance to you know go to a place that's basically another home game to yep. go three and two. Then you're coming back home to Tennessee. You're four and two. I mean, yep. Look how it rolls. They were two stops away from that, but now you get this this other thing happening, which is what I think is really scary. Because they're not as bad as they're not truly a terrible team, but they can become one if they if they separate. And I think, and as I wrote about a, a little bit in my story, I don't think they have the components that are necessary to bind together. There are, there are teams and, and and people and types of groups that can take this and say, hey. No one believes in us. We only have each other. We're stuck together for the next 13 weeks, whether we like it or not. Let's have fun. Look at the Rockies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The Rockies somehow lost all of their goals. Everything that they wanted was taken away from them. Massive disappointment. Huge disappointment. And then they just got closer. And they started having a ton of fun. And they dressed up the rookies as literal cockroaches in little cockroach suits <laughs> and had a, a, a hilarious time with it. And they finished the season with a sweep at home with two walk-offs, and they ended up feeling really good. I don't think this team is going to do that because I don't know who they're going to turn to that is going to, to rally them to come together as one. I don't see it. 
And because of that, I can really see everyone starting to go their separate ways. And then this team can be a bad team, a really bad team. I could see the young players rallying around some guys in their peer group. But then you've got the generation gap that has existed in the locker room the last few years only continuing to grow. So let me ask you this question. Why would you, if you're not just Vic Fangio, but if you're John Elway, why would you stop those young guys and why would you limit them? And really what it boils down to is why would you not be afraid to cut bait and move on and start selling the guys, the the veterans that are going to stop that. I would absolutely do that right now. Yep. And I'm looking at I'm looking at the expiring contracts after this year. Emmanuel Sanders, Chris Harris Jr., Adam Gotzis, Shelby Harris, Derek Wolf, Justin Simmons, Will Parks. You have an option on Vaughn Miller. And then you have other guys that if you part ways with them in the offseason you have minimal dead money. You've got, you know, Ron Leary, for example. You'd save eight point five million if you cut him early next year, eight seventy five K in dead money. Todd Davis save five million, one million in dead money. Jeff Hireman save four million five hundred K dead money. I I look at those guys and say, Okay, if they're not part of my long term plans, I'm selling. And I don't and, and in some cases you might be only getting, say, a, a sixth round pick for a Derek Wolf type of player. But you know, I'm, but you've got some guys in there that you can probably get day two picks for. You know who can really be the glue for that young core? 30? Him and one other guy who's not playing right now. Three. Drew Locke. Mm-hmm. That is exactly what that young core needs. Let them grow together. And here is, here's your beacon of hope, Broncos fans. The Broncos start selling. And things get worse. Um, people are the veterans are mad that Chris Harris Jr. is gone, and and this and that, and things are trending down. But all of a sudden, the young group is empowered, and then the rising sun, Drew Locke, emerges from one of those things that comes from under the stage, and there's like fog, like a low layer of fog, and then Drew comes the- up from the stage. <laughs> Wait, is There's this like the re- is this the other dawn rising? Yes, yes. <laughs> There's a nice like bass line playing, and Drew comes up, and he's got a V-neck guitar, and he's just going ham, and that is that is what this team can rally around. This this group can now say the young guys are empowered, and that can be what takes this season and finishes it the same way the Rockies did. You know, it's sort of a JFK thing. I'm not going to try to do a bad Boston accent JFK impersonation, but the torch has been passed to a new generation. That's what this should be like. We need. That's what we need to happen. No one's going to disagree on this podcast. I don't think really anyone outside of Dove Valley is going to disagree. But there's one guy that needs to agree in order for this to happen. And when will John Elway, and this is a question, when will John Elway say, this isn't about winning right now anymore because we can't win right now? When does he say, let's do this plan? Let's answer that question. But quickly, before (laughs) we do that, 
You guys have to head to Infinity Park on the weekend of October 5th and 6th to check out the International Women's Rugby Sevens event. Uh, and it's also the World Wine and Spirits Festival. What you can do there is check out awesome wine and spirits and also eat delicious international food while listening to some incredible bands, just like the one that we were just talking about. It's led by Drew Locke. Um, <laughs> Infinity Park is the only U.S. stop for this rugby series, and teams from around the world are participating, including the USA, New Zealand, Canada, Japan, England, Ireland, Russia, Brazil, France, Fiji, Australia, and Spain. Every single country in the whole world. The series is crucial for athletes as they prepare for the 2020 Olympics. Rugby Sevens is a physically demanding game of speed and endurance and intensity with some of the world's most talented athletes. What's best is that you can bring the whole family for an extremely affordable price. Adult passes are only $15 when you use the code BSN5. And kids 12 and under only $10. And kids 3 and under go for free the entire weekend. You can taste over 50 varieties of wine and spirits on Saturday from 1 to 5 p.m. with your $50 festival pass, which includes the rugby games. Visit infinitypark at glendale.com for all of your information and grab tickets. That's infinitypark at glendale.com. So, Mace, and and Ryan, but you just talked, so I'll give you a break. Mace, (laughs) when does John realize this? Realistically, because we all know it's now, but when does he realize? Does he? And does he admit? I guess that's the biggest thing. I think, honestly, I don't think he'll realize admit until they had their eighth loss. Maybe their seventh. Maybe their seventh. So then, because the remember, uh, it was after the seventh loss in 2017 when they went to Paxton Lynch, right? Right. Exactly. Okay, so the seventh loss. So oh, so week seven. Is I was going to say, is the best thing for this team, as crazy as it is, but sitting in 0-4 is the best team for this team then, 0-7. I hate to say it, but yes. When is the trade deadline? Right after that? It's, uh, it's, after, uh, it's after the Browns game, I think. So it's, it's okay, after week nine. Yeah. Okay, so that would give them a few weeks to shop around. Oh, and seven. Shop around. It's not that crazy. That's what, That's what's crazy about this. It's not that crazy because all it takes is a loss this week to a much better Chargers team. A loss next week to a Titans team. When we just saw you lost to the Jags, you can lose to the Titans. And then you have the Chiefs, which is a guaranteed loss. Yep. So, I mean, one in six is the most likely outcome. One in six is great right now. One in six is the most likely outcome. Oh, by the way, my bad. It's a week eight for the Browns game after the Colts game. That's the deadline. Okay, Sorry. so before week nine, in between yes. week eight and nine. Drew Locke, you, you need, in my opinion, Drew Locke should be the starter in week nine. You have a week to show him, hey, this is all the areas you can improve, and then he comes back in week 11, and you know you, have a full, you can get a full evaluation. Because look, at, I mean, let's be honest. You're going to have a top five pick. And I want his first start to be at home. There's only three teams now competing for last place in the entire NFL. The Broncos, the Redskins, and the Dolphins. Wow. I believe. Think about that. Wow. Two apps. The other two teams you named are train wrecks. I know. Let me. Uh, let me. Should we say the Broncos that. are a train wreck? That's what I mean. Like you feel like, like we they look beat at these both other teams and we're like, man, those teams suck. We're laughing at them. Yeah, it's like, an automatic L when they're on the schedule. We're absolutely clowning <laughs> yeah. these teams and the Broncos. Are are right there with them. Okay, so the Broncos are one of three zero and four teams. Okay, you've still got the Jets at zero and three, 
The Steelers at 0 3, the Bengals at 0 3. And the Steelers play Monday night. One of the Steelers or Bengals, one of them will get off the Schneid unless there's a tie, which I, I wouldn't put it past that game to end in a, in a deadlock. And Arizona 0 3 1. Damn, my guy Kyler still hasn't gotten his first win. Yeah. But that's that. We, but feels, there, that's a rebuild. It feels like the Broncos. The Cardinals are better than the Broncos. They're 0 3 1. Technically, wow. yes. Do you wow. think if the Broncos and they Cardinals have a win percentage? Yeah, if the Broncos and Cardinals played on a neutral field, who would win? I don't. I I, I want to say the Broncos. I, I feel like all of those teams, except maybe the Jets with Sam Darnold, I'm picking the Broncos fairly comfortably. Yeah, and I mean I'm pretty hard on the Broncos to be fair. But the Broncos have a brutal schedule, still. It's like this weird acceptance thing, and and if it, I know if it's in us, I know it's in the fans too. Right. Like, I'm not willing to view the Broncos as the same as the Redskins and the Dolphins. No, but they are what their record says they are. But also, with both of those teams, you view more than just the team itself, like the players being bad. You say, oh, organization, organization is dysfunction, trash. Yeah. terrible. Yeah. Well. I mean, uh, recently, nationally, people are coming out and, and attacking every level of the Broncos. Boy, that that's going to be the yeah. worst side effect of this whole thing. People mad at John Elway. Well, no, well, that, but I mean, from a national perspective, the Broncos go zero and seven, right? One and six, even. And nationally, people are going to start saying, "Okay, not only is the team trash, they don't have an owner. Like that's flown under the radar." That hasn't gotten uh, a lot of national attention. Yeah. Well, how are they going to get this thing in, uh, on the right track? Well, who's holding John Elway accountable? Like nationally, all of a sudden, this is going to become something, and the Broncos are going to get thrown into that. It's going to be dysfunction is going to be thrown around. Yep. And it's true. Gosh, when you say one in six, I th- I think I'm like a lot of Broncos fans. I think oh, you know, crazy to think not going to happen. That's only going one and two. Over the in, ne- and that's the, the most likely games. scenario. And that yeah. is the most likely scenario. And uh, if not, 0-3. Let's say the Titans who play – who the Titans play next week? They play someone at home. But if they play the way they did against Bills. the Falcons. The Bills. Yeah. The Bills. Let's say, let's say they beat the Bills at home. Broncos probably won't be favored well, going yeah. into that so game. Then, then the they will most... be underdogs. And the most likely scenario will be 0-7. And forget about the favorite underdog thing. If the Titans play today – or play in two weeks the way they did today in Atlanta. Right. Now that Atlanta's a great team and it seems like the the Dan Quinn job watch is on in the ATL right now. And I think everyone down there's focused on college football and baseball anyway at this point, but still Tennessee comes here in two weeks and plays the way they did today. They're walking out of Empower Field with a dub. The remember when remember when Mace said oh. the the thing that gives the Broncos problem is those big power backs and like Derrick Henry. <laughs> oh, by the way, Derrick Henry is the other back who went for two hundred yards but did not do it at the Broncos' yeah. expense. He did it to the Jaguars, <laughs> and now you're going to be staring at him in two weeks. You, you think Derrick Henry isn't going to be excited to face this defense? Oh my God, he's he might be saying, "Man, I could push three hundred on these guys." I think Marcus Mariota is going to be thrilled because then he won't have to get sacked nine times. They should run the veer. <laughs> 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 I'm just saying. <laughs> oh. Oh this, man. Yeah, this could get really ugly. I- Atlanta's an Atlanta's <sighs> another team, Mace. When you were when you were saying that, it reminded me of. Um, I mentioned to someone, oh, today, oh, look, well, the Titans just handled um, the Falcons, and they said, 
that person said, another media member said, well, yeah, the Falcons are bad, though. <laughs> and I'm thinking that's how, that's how the Broncos are viewed around the league. It's going to take a long time for that to really, really sink in just how bad 0-4 is. They're, an, they're the homecoming opponent. Right. If this were college football, oh. you'd be saying, okay, let, who we want for homecoming? Sure, Dub. Oh, we got the Broncos coming in. Let's have homecoming be that weekend. This is what the Denver Broncos have become. They are fast becoming a laughing stock around the league. But we're only two days away from Locktober. <laughs> <laughs> and in, in, in Locktober, Drew Lockin returned to the practice field. And, and I was telling this to Zach today. I'm like, that's the only thing that can change the script of the season. Like, not necessarily it's the only interesting thing that can happen, but it's the only thing that can, like, reset everything. Like, it, the Broncos are 0-8, and, and they're starting Drew Locke in Week 9. Like, the slate is clear. Like, we're, we're looking at it with clear eyes, mm-hmm. saying, all right, the whole season has now become about this. So, Drew – we're going to live and die on every throw. Yep. And it's a lot of pressure to put on a kid, yep. but it's the truth. He's the only thing that can leave you with a, 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 a sweet taste in your mouth at the end of the season. Oh, imagine if – I'm going to go best-case scenario here. Imagine if Drew Locke plays the second half of the season, and let's say you're 0-8. And by the way, we're saying all this Owen stuff, so I've got to say the knock-knock joke. Knock-knock. Who's, Who's there? there? Owen. Owen who? Owen four. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. This is what happens when you have a seven-year-old kid. You start. I'm. I'm going to say that to Charlotte tomorrow, and she'll probably laugh. The uh, I've watched the Patriots after a lot of their Mm. wins. They do some really cheesy little thing like that in in the locker room after Bill says it or Tom says it. And I just imagine like Vic going in the locker room and saying (laughs) that to all the guys. Oh man. Our uh, our good buddy Zach Bai, his son's name is Owen, and I told him I'm like I can't wait till I can play him in ping pong, and if I beat him a couple of times, I can call him Owen too. <laughs> oh, uh, if, if you're ever a dad, Ryan, you're gonna be the best of the dad <laughs> jokes. I gotta tell you, I might name my own kid Owen just so I can make <laughs> jokes at his expense <laughs> <laughs> and never let him win anything. <laughs> that poor he's, kid. <laughs> he's like six. I'm like, oh, it's weird. Oh, and 36 <laughs> all time against me in basketball. Oh. Hey, what, what were we talking about before I sent this thing off the rails? I apologize. Oh, it was good. You're actually making a really good point. I don't know. I said Drew oh, Locke. You, yeah, and then you were saying if they are Owen. Oh, if they're Owen eight, but let's let's say they go five and three with Drew Locke, and you yep. find out that oh he's the potential long term quarterback. Then you are, man. You're ecstatic about that five and eleven. If you find your yeah. quarterback. And then we're all going to start whining. Why didn't they start him from day one? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and once, once you accept that the season is this season is done, and uh, probably now is a good time to accept, as Mace pointed out, there's a 0.8% chance that you make the playoffs. <laughs> and if you're, if you're playing for a season in Denver, you know you're playing to make the playoffs. So if you accept that the season is done now and uh, you uh, – Wait the next four weeks until until Drew Locke's here, and they play Drew Locke. It's only going to be good things from then because either you find out you have your quarterback of the future, or you find out that you don't have your quarterback for the future, and you are bad because Drew Locke is not winning you games, and you're one in seven when he came in. And if he's not your quarterback of the future, you win two more games. Then you're three and thirteen. Well, then hey, 
You're going to get your quarterback of the future next year, and you're not going to have to trade the future away to get him. He's going to fall to you with the third pick in the draft, the second pick in the draft. Here's where the season becomes a failure, is if you don't play Drew. I agree. And if John, for some reason, says, I'm humiliated with one win through eight games of the season, I need another one. Joe, oh you're oh, going out there. Golly, what, if, what if what what if John does that for four weeks and then says, "Okay, Drew's had enough time to practice now. Now we'll bring you out." And then they're stuck in the thing where they have four games. Was Drew good enough? Did he not get enough time? That's when the season. And Mace, you pointed this out before the before the season in your first piece with us. That's when the season is a complete and utter failure. What about this? What if? John always says the plan was always to let Drew prepare for his entire first year, and we're not just going to change that because we're bad. And then you don't get to see Drew at all this year. And what? And then Drew doesn't turn out to be the guy, and you spent yeah. a number three overall pick on someone that, you know, when you could have had a quarterback. Failure. And there's a chance that we find out in week nine that we're not going to see Drew because the Broncos bring back Theo Riddick and Jake Butt. Or Theo Riddick and who else is on there? There's another guy, right? Um, Tim Patrick. Tim Patrick. Tim oh Patrick. my! <laughs> Are that. you trying to give me a coronary over here with that? Because that's what ha- that's what's happening right now. You're doing that. I can feel my blood pressure <laughs> rising. I can feel the anger simmering up within me. All right. If 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 that's what happens, yeah. my pieces on the DNVR.com are going to take on a very dark an angry tone going forward. Um, speaking of dark and angry tones, <laughs> I want to go a completely different direction. I'd like to finish this pod on a high note. So, the I ask green you. solution. No. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> I ask you guys, what were the positives of today? Cortland Sutton, two touchdown catches. He's clearly taken a, a large, I would actually call it a leap forward this year. He has evolved. Noah Fant, first career touchdown. And you saw a glimpse, sorry to interrupt, you saw a quick glimpse of what it looks like when you get him in in the open field. And that's why they did the end around. And that's why they had the little (laughs) dump off screens for him. Because when he gets ahead of steam, he is a tough guy to bring down. For a 250-pounder, he has a surprising nimbleness that is hard to contain. I thought Devontae Bosby mm-hmm. had a good game. Rough last um yeah, rough, series. Yeah, rough ending, but made some made some plays on the ball, as yeah. you as you would expect, uh, because that's just been his tendency going back to the AAF. And then... Vaughn had a, probably an A-plus game. Yeah. Yep, except for the end. I know, but... Not, I, I'm not I even putting the rough in the passer him on him, but just not being able to get to the quarterback... When it mattered the most, him, him, and Chubb, the the entire pass rush. They created a ton of pressure on that drive. It just mm-hmm. Minshew, man. <laughs> Can I put him in my positives? He's so dope. I want to. Sure. Oh, he he has the swag. Uh, how about this guy? I'm diving deep here, but Colby Colby Wadman, he had uh, he had a few really good punts. <laughs> really diving deep. He had six punts today. Four of Wadman's punts were inside the twenty. None were touchbacks. His net was forty four point three. His gross was forty five point two. So not uh, not permitting returns, getting the ball inside the, the twenty. A nice job of coverage um, by Devontae Harris with that downing in, at the one yard line. Got a point to him. 
I would love to have put Deshaun Hamilton on this list, but he had that drop. Yep, yep. <sighs> a guy I would like to put on this list, Garrett Bowles. He made a legal tackle in this game, oh guys. He missed a tackle, and then he made a tackle on the <laughs> yeah. same play. I'm trying to finish on positivity. You're just over here cracking jokes. How about this? The Broncos averaged mm. 6.9 nice yards per play today. And you want to know why that's significant? Hmm. They haven't hit that number. That is the best mark they've had in the post-Peyton Manning era. In fact, they haven't hit that number since the signature regular season win of their Super Bowl year when they smoked the Green Bay Packers. You've got to be kidding me. The problem was they allowed the the Jaguars. Six. Six but 455 total yards. And what was it, like 8.2 after the pick? Yeah, the Jaguars in the third quarter and late in the second quarter after the pick, it was like 8.2, I think. And then the Jaguars ran 22 more plays than the Broncos and had them beat by more than 18 minutes in time of possession. That's brutal. How about this for for a legit positive from me? Malik Reed. Got his. We mm-hmm. saw him tear it up in the preseason. Then he goes out and gets his first career sack tonight. And this could be this guy could be a bigger deal than we think. Everyone's complaining about how, how the Broncos, quote unquote, let Shaq Barrett go. And uh, look, he goes out and has a touchdown today or, or a pick. Didn't he also have a sack? I, I think didn't he had. See if he got a sack. Some, yes, he did. Something. Yeah, he he's up a, to nine <laughs> sacks. It's like the most in the first four games in forever. So what about this? People are so upset that Shaq's gone, and, and boy, what if you still had him? What if the Broncos do get a first-round pick offer for Von Miller? Doesn't Malik Reed uh, give you at least some hope that you're not just Bradley Chubb and then nothing else, and then you feel a little more comfortable making going full— I mean, this would be going full youth movement if you moved on from Von. But let's say you the, the Cowboys give you a first-round pick. Uh, Tampa Bay maybe gives you a first-round pick to pair along with uh, with Shaq Barrett. The Rams clearly need some defensive help. They give you a first-round pick. Real quick, someone <laughs> today was like, uh, after the Broncos lost, was like, yeah, great job letting Wade go. And then someone commented back to that guy, Wade's defense gave up 55 <laughs> points today. <laughs> but Malik Reed would give you a little bit of hope. Yeah. No doubt, and I think with Malik Reed, even in the short term, if you and if you don't trade Von Miller, and of course you have Bradley Chubb there, Malik Reed has shown me enough to where I hope Vic Fangio rotates Von and Chubb out a little more liberally, gives them some more rest, and maybe you're talking about a scenario where Miller and Chubb are playing 75 or 80% of the snaps. I was about to fall asleep. Thanks for waking me up. <laughs> You're welcome. But then Malik Reed is playing up to 50% of the snaps, perhaps, sometimes filling in for Vaughn, sometimes filling in for Bradley. If that's the case in my book, trade Vaughn. And the reason is because Vic Fangio said it this past week. He said, great players that I've coached in the past all play above 90%. So if you're going to do that to your quote-unquote great players, trade them. And obviously not Chubb, but then if you trade Vaughn, well then Malik Reed's probably playing 90% of the snaps. Or he's not a great player yet, so he could play 70 and you can get get Jeff Holland or Justin Hollins to to, to get some snaps as well. But do that. Do it. Listen to your coach who you've empowered up till now. The biggest positive of the day, the very first DNVR 
and Sons of Mile High Tailgate. It was an mm. absolute hit, an absolute blast. So thanks again to everyone who came out to that. Uh, thanks to you guys for some great content and for joining me on this podcast and for just being a general good time up here in the po- <laughs> in the uh, press box. Thanks to the mousetrap for <laughs> providing us our intro. And thanks to me. Or t- thanks for this huge, creepy bug flying around for keeping me awake. That's a mock. Welcome to Colorado. <laughs> All right. We will talk to you guys tomorrow on the DNVR Broncos podcast. Thanks for tuning in with us. And again, thanks to everyone who came by the tailgate. We'll talk to you then. It's getting me down. Waiting up for you. South Metro area and have been looking for top-notch customer service, extensive beer, wine, and spirit selections, and unbeatable prices, look no further than Davidson's Beer, Wine, and Spirits. You won't find a more varied inventory anywhere else. Don't just take it from me, guys. This is Michael, and he's been shopping at Davidson's since they opened. The thing I like about Davidson's versus the competitors, it has a larger selection. And if I am going to buy spirit, then Davidson's is usually my first choice as well because just of the size of the selection. I also like the uh, extensive selection of some uh, hard-to-find items. But that's not all. Every department is staffed with highly trained specialists who can help you find exactly what you're looking for. I've always found the folks that you chat with to be knowledgeable. I've chatted with the spirit staff about different bourbons and different vodkas, and I am always chatting with the wine staff about different things and saying, I like this, what else do you have that's similar? Particularly when I go to non-U.S. wines, I find them extremely helpful in helping me find something I'm looking for. What are you waiting for? Head to either of their locations in Centennial or Highlands Ranch and follow them on Facebook to stay up to date on their latest specials.